Let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. I'm glad I'm saved tonight. Glad I'm at church. And, uh, you know, with all that's going around and all the sickness, I'm glad I'm well, aren't you? And uh, I'll be thankful for every well day that we get. But uh, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2 to read the first scripture there. And I'm going to read verse scripture in Ephesians chapter number 5. Philippians chapter number 2, Ephesians chapter number 5. Don't forget the ladies' dinner is uh, Friday night, and then we're going to see the lights in Bristol on Saturday. And uh, I think the consensus was around 4. We'll be here, find some place to eat, go out to watch the lights in Bristol. And so that'll be a good time. That's always a lot of fun. And we can have, we got two van, we can take two van loads, and so... If we time it right, we might get to race around the, the two vans, race around the track. That would be good. They swore they'd never let us back in after the last time, but that, I think they forgot when we had that bus on there. Oh, it's warm enough, Trey. Turn it down. Lord, we're going to be too hot here in just a minute. I feel it coming. Philippians chapter number two. I read one verse of scripture, verse number three. Find your place, say Amen. All right, that's a few of you. Let nothing, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, let's go over to Ephesians chapter number five. And uh, this is the beginning, of course, of Paul's Dealing with the home, look what he says, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you'd help us tonight. Lord, just want to try to do your will tonight. We'll try to preach what you laid on our heart. I pray, God, that you'd help us to preach, Lord, in the demonstration of the power of God and the Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, that you'd do a work in our midst, how we need you tonight. God, for all that you do, we'll thank you and praise you, honor and glorify you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dealing with the home, uh, we've dealt with the role of the man. Encouraged you men to be men. And the role of the ladies, encouraged you ladies to be ladies. And now I want to deal a little bit with the marriage relationship. We'll deal with the marriage relationship maybe a couple of weeks. And uh, then deal with uh, some parenting issues and uh, so we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll plow on, amen, still go farther, I believe the song said, just deal with these things. I believe that the home and the strong homes is the foundation of the church, uh, and I believe it's the foundation of society. As a matter of fact, I believe it's one of the reasons, there's several reasons, but I believe it's one of the reasons that our society is in the mess that it's in is because the homes are the, in the mess that they're in. And uh, when we had... Uh, when we had homes like uh, Leave It to Beaver, you know, and uh, those uh, sorts of uh, role models for homes, I believe America was stronger. Uh, but now America has been weakened, and it was a plan of Satan all, I don't want to deal with all that, but it's a plan of Satan all along to destroy the home. Uh, he knew he, can, he cannot destroy the church because uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he, he wants to destroy homes, and he's done it. 
And I'm telling you, now we're to the point where it's beyond the destruction of the home. He's, destru he's destroying the very identity of male and female. Of course, we've already dealt with that. But that's beyond anything that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, most of us could have even imagined that we would be in this place now. Uh, and I saw, I know you probably saw it shared on Facebook, some Baptist church in Richmond, Virginia. Baptist church is having a drag queen show this coming Saturday. Uh, the, I, believe, I ain't even going to say the lady's name. I'm not going to give her that much credit or the man's name that's pretending to be a lady or whatever that thing is. I don't know what it is, but they're having a drag show. And uh, I tell you, it's a, it's a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. Some of the things that are going on in our society. I can't deal with all that. Uh, what I want to deal with, what I want to deal with is trying to keep our homes together. Amen. And uh, if I get off on that, I can deal with that. But uh, I want to talk to you just a little bit tonight uh, on the subject of working together by working for each other. Uh, working together by working. How many of you agree with me tonight, if you've been married any length of time, that marriage takes cooperation? Oh boy, I say. And uh, marriage also, of course, takes work. So we're going to deal with that a little bit tonight. And uh, I thought about what Paul said here in Philippians 2 uh, when I was thinking about preaching along these lines where he said, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, in 25 years of pastoring, I've had couples that have come to me, sat down in my office, both when we were here and up on the hill, and talked to me about their marriage problems. Uh, I'd like to tell you that I'm batting a thousand percent that every couple that came in and talked to me about marriage problems uh, uh, are still together and everything's fine, but I'm, gonna tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you, the majority of those couples busted up, the vast majority of them busted up, and the reason was they came to me, by the time they came to me, it was over in at least one of their minds, it was over. And uh, once they'd made up their mind, then it didn't matter how much I talked to them, uh, it was over. But uh, my desire is never to have to do that again. Wouldn't it be good if there was never another family that uh, ever came to our church that ever busted up? Now, I will say this. There's not been too many uh, Wednesday night families that have busted up. Most of them was, you know, Sunday morning families. But I sure would like to never see that happen again. So I got to thinking about it. What was it that caused those homes to bust up? Well, we could list a thousand different things. We could say infidelity. Certainly that's a problem. You know, uh, uh, people suddenly find this newfound soulmate at work and they've discovered, you know, that I even had people tell me that God had them another person out there and that's, that's, not, that's not true. Let me tell you who your soulmate is. It's whoever you're married to, amen. It's not whoever you work with. It's not none of that. It's whoever you're married to that is. Uh, by the way, that, that old soulmate idea, that's not in the Bible anyway. All that comes from Nicholas Sparks and a bunch of romance novel writers. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. There's days that uh, when it comes to marriage, it's great. And then there's days it's hard. Uh, but you got to make up your mind that you said till death do us part. And you're going to stick with it and stick it out and stay in. Amen. And that's the only way to get 
through a marriage is uh, uh, to make up your mind that divorce is not an option. But we could say that uh, infidelity or we could say financial issues, that's another big one. People have struggle when financial issues come into a home or we could talk about how that there's trust issues. That's a often a big problem. Uh, maybe sometimes one spouse or the other that acts uh, uh, kind of immature and they're immature and they're spending different things. Uh, but really, I, I got thinking about it this week, Brother Billy, and if we were to boil it all down, uh, I believe what I could say is the number one thing that I've seen for destroyed homes, uh, and that is selfishness. Selfishness. Just plain old selfishness. So that's what I'll talk to you about a little bit tonight. Can I say that one of the hallmark truths of the scriptures uh, when it comes to relationships is that we should strive to put other people first, but that is directly against what you want to do. Everybody in here at their core wants to be selfish. Everybody. You say, well, preacher, no, not me. I'm perfect in every way. Yeah, and you're a liar too. Amen. Everybody in here has a desire to have what they desire. That's just natural to man. It's our old sin-ridden flesh. It has desires and it wants those desires fulfilled. And one of the greatest marks of spirituality is when you overcome those desires of the flesh and when you start having a heart to serve others and when you start getting rid of selfishness, it is one of the, it's the height really of spirituality is when you're no longer selfish. Now I'm going to say this to you tonight. Even if you're here tonight and you're single, this message can help you tonight because it's good for us to overcome the desires of of our hearts to become self-centered, all about me, all about us. But it's especially true in marriage. I believe that selfishness, Brother Allen, is the root of a lot of problems that happen in the home. I believe it is the very root. I, I remember some years ago, I had a field out there next to the house and in that field was a multi-floral rose and uh, I cut it off every year and I bought them little pellets and put them pellets on it. I, I tell you, I found out something, you cannot kill them things. Uh, I'm telling you, if there's ever a nuclear war, uh, there'll be one thing standing and that is a multi-floral rose. a matter of fact, if I ever hear that a nuclear bomb's a-dropping, I'm going to run my head up under a multi-floral rose and hope to make it. I, I mean, you can't get rid of them. I, and so I'd cut it off, and I sprayed it, and I even piled up a big old brush pile on top of it and burned it. I mean, thousands of degrees. And I thought, boy, that'll get it next spring. She sprung right back up. What I had to do was I had to get it up, let it get up big enough for me to wrap a chain around it. I dug down in the ground, wrapped a chain around it, hooked the chain to the back of my truck and drug the root up out, root ball, all of it, tore the whole ground up, drug the whole root out, and it never came back up. But I always had problem with it until I dealt with the root. I'm going to tell you, in marriage, it's the same way. There's a lot of you, you're continually saying, well, she nags all the time. He's never happy. Uh, uh, she does this. He does that. All that is is branches uh, off the root of selfishness. Uh, and if we'd ever take part of the 
take care of that thing of selfishness, what we'd find is that all of those other peripheral things would take care of themselves. You see, the heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. I want to deal with that a little bit tonight. Let me ask you something. How selfish are you? Really, I want you to think about that. And uh, boy, we're good at telling when other people are selfish. Uh, you say, oh, so-and-so, boy, they sure are selfish. Uh, but really, how selfish are you? Uh, the definition of selfishness is taking care of one's own desires uh, without regard or the interest uh, of others. And when husbands and wives seek to have it their own way and they always have to dissatisfy what they want, then they do it at the expense of everybody else in the family. I'm reminded right now of a couple that I know. A man and woman been married probably 40 years. I mean, they've been married a long time. They busted up just this year. That man had a drinking problem. Over the years, he had tried to conquer it in various ways. Uh, he'd, uh, he'd conquer it for a little while, and then he'd slide right back into it. Uh, and he'd conquer it again. He'd slide right back into it. Uh, and finally, he, through his drinking, he became abusive in one way or another, verbally, maybe even some physical abuse. Uh, and the wife finally had all she could take of it. Uh, she'd heard his excuses the last time. Uh, she'd put up with it the last time she's going to put up with it. Uh, I'm talking about a church uh, uh, family that was in church every Sunday. They don't go to church here, but another church, they were there every Sunday. Took a part in a lot of things that happened. Uh, had children and grandchildren. Uh, so much to stay together for. Uh, but you see, uh, he became selfish. Uh, you say, you really think it's selfish? Sure I do. Uh, he saw that that drinking was destroying his family. Uh, he saw that his way of life was destroying his family. Uh, you say, well, preacher, he's addicted to it. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, there's a lot of things people become addicted to and we use that as a crutch and say, well, they can't help it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can help it. If there's something in your life that's destroying your marriage, quit, quit putting that out there as a crutch and saying, well, I can't do any better. I can't get over it. All you're doing is admitting that you don't want to. And because you're selfish and you want to keep that thing in your life. You hearing what I'm preaching? And it don't have to be drinking. It can be a thousand different things. If it's tearing apart your home, you ought to lay it down. Hey, if it's bothering your marriage, then you ought to do away with it. There might be some secret sin. Boy, I feel like preaching all of a sudden. There might be some secret sin. And it might be hidden in somebody's heart tonight. And it's destroying your home. And you know it is. Boy, you ought to get in this altar here in a little while and tell God that you don't want to do that anymore. That it's selfish for you to do it. There might be some pursuit of happiness. That keeps you from being the husband or the wife that you ought to be. i tell you what you ought to do. You ought to get in this altar and say, God, I am sorry. There's no room for selfishness. I don't want, I don't want it to destroy my home. Help me not to be a selfish person. Now let me give you three characteristics of selfishness. See if this don't sound right to you. Number one is immaturity. Somebody that's selfish is very immature. Now, I love that little boy laying yonder, that little Israel, but he's uh, obviously immature, right? He's a baby. He's immature. So what happens? I go over there, looks like he's maybe 
might be sucking on his passy right now, just got done with a bottle. If I went over there and he had that bottle in his mouth, just put it in his mouth crying for it. I grabbed it, pulled it out of his mouth. You know what he'd do? He'd pitch the same kind of fit as if I'd throwed him off of a speeding car. I, I mean, he'd yell and cry and scream, ball up his fist. Why? Because he's all about him. Uh, amen. That's, that's a, and a, sign, a sign of being self-centered uh, is being immature. Uh, uh, they don't know how to handle it. Boy, if it don't go their way, they fall all to pieces. Uh, and they pitch a big old fit. Uh, am, I, am I making any sense tonight? That's a sign of self-centeredness. It's a sign of selfishness. Uh, when you're immature, uh, I mean you struggle, to, you struggle to handle things uh, and your immaturity starts. Then there is uh, uh, also a, a uh, inflexibility. An inflexibility. Uh, uh, somebody that's uh, uh, immature is very inflexible. Uh, uh, again, Israel, he's got a feeding schedule uh, and that's non-negotiable. <laughs> Amen. Uh, uh, you can sit him down and say, now Israel, I don't have the bottle ready just yet. Just calm down. Uh, we're going to get the bottle. Doesn't make any difference to him. Uh, it's time to eat. Bless goodness, it's time to eat. Uh, now wouldn't it be, a, wouldn't it be something uh, if Brian walked in here tonight, he was hungry and we didn't know it, uh, and about halfway through the service he stood up and said, hey, I'm hungry, uh, and he started throwing over chairs uh, and said, everybody, listen, I'm hungry. I said, I'm hungry, 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 hungry. Throw it out, throw the chair out through the window, yelled and screamed, pitch a fit. Wouldn't we? We'd say, boy, is something wrong with Brian Ledford. Lord have mercy, what has happened to him? Uh, why does he act that way? Uh, surely he could wait just about 30 more minutes uh, and go over to Burger King and get him a hamburger and not pitch such a fit. So everybody'd say, boy, it he immature. Uh, but you know that's the same way you are sometimes. Uh, some of you men, uh, how you could give in a little bit and give in a little on this uh, and keep uh, keep peace at the house, uh, but we'll throw our temper tantrum uh, and say we'll not do it. Uh, we will not we'll not be told what to do. And some of you women just as bad. Hey, you men say man. Some of you women just as bad. Inflexible. So they're immature. They're inflexible. But then also a characteristic of immaturity is that they're insincere. They have an insincerity. They'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You take a little old kid, he can do something. I've seen it, son, Trey was the world's worst. I'd take my belt off, never deal in the world would come out. I mean, daddy, please, let's talk about this. Lord have mercy. I'll never do it again. I promise you'll never catch me do that again. I swear to you, daddy, if you'll let me off this time, I'll never do it again. And that's exactly how we do a lot of times, isn't it? Boy, I'm going to do better. I'll never do that again. I swear I won't. But in the end, it's a marker of immaturity. It's a marker of self-centeredness. It's all about us. It's all about our own gain. So let's talk about how we can deal with it. How do we get that? We've all got it in us. I'm preaching tonight. What I'm preaching tonight, everybody in this room's guilty of it. Everybody. So how do we get over it? Let me say this. Why should we get over it? And I'll tell you why. Because nobody has ever won a divorce. Now, people go to divorce court and one side come out and say, boy, I got it all. I got the house, got the car, got the, got the kids, got the 
child support, got all of it. But they still didn't win. Nobody's ever won a divorce case. You know why? Because every divorce case is a mess. And there's some of you in here, divorce, some of you divorced, remarried. I'm not belittling you at all, not at all. I know that, you know, life is life. Things happen. You're not a second-rate Christian or a third-rate Christian. You're a first-rate Christian in my book. But those of you that are divorced, wouldn't you agree with me that it would be best for these families that are married to stay married and be happy and have happy, healthy homes because nobody wins a divorce case. Let me give you four or five things right here about dealing, dealing with selfishness. Number one, it's this area of change. This is what nobody likes, just have to change. That is taking a personal responsibility. Now, I'm going to tell you something that if you don't hear anything else I say, don't you hear this tonight? You cannot change your spouse. <laughs> now, I will repeat that. You cannot change your spouse. Somebody said, well, I changed mine. You know, you might threaten them. You might have them in fear of you. They might change in your presence. But you can't change them. The only person that you can really change is the one you look at in the mirror every morning. And so quit trying to control that person you're married to and change them. You've got it in your mind. Some of you that are married have got it in your mind. Man, if I could just make him behave. Man, if I could just make her do what I want her to do. Then happiness would come to our home. But it's not going to work that way. What you're going to have to do, and this is true for everything, not just in marriage. The only person you can do anything about is you. That's exactly right. Now, I'm telling you, I have, I have pastored people over the years that I have thought about asking them to pretend to be somebody else. Because who, who they were wasn't working out. So I've thought about going to them and saying, hey, could you pretend to be somebody else? Just while here at church or whatever, just, just pretend to be somebody else. But you know who, who people are, who they are. And the only ones you can work on is you. And a lot of people spend all their lives trying to change other people. And they never give a thought about changing themselves. I see it all the time. They'll come in my office. Preacher with our marriage is in a mess. We'd like to talk to you about it. What happens? Blame game starts. Well, if she'd just do this, or if he'd just do that. I'm sitting there thinking, boy, if both of you would just really start thinking about working on yourselves. Now, there ain't nobody else in here to preach this tonight. I could sit down and let Billy take my notes and preach it, and I'd have to holler, oh, me too. Because a lot of times, boy, particularly pastor, and you get caught up and want to change everybody. But here's what I've learned the only person I can really for sure make a difference in is me. But if I work on me, it'll impact you. So there's this thing of change. We don't like to be told that we're going to have to change. We don't want to be told that we're going to have to. Then there's this thing of conversion. I shouldn't have to mention this, but I'm going to. If you're lost, then the marriage is the least of your concerns. You're going to die and go to hell. 
And the reason you can't get your marriage together is because you're unequally yoked and maybe your wife's saved and you're lost or maybe your husband's saved. Whatever the case may be, if you're lost, then you need to deal with that problem first. I'm convinced that a lot of the marriages that I've counseled with over the years could have been rescued if the people in them would have just got saved. They were masquerading. They said they were saved, but really they never had been born again. I believe that they wanted to put on a front like they were saved, but they had no fruits of salvation. I'm going to say this. If you're unequally yoked, boy, marriage is a mess. That's the reason you young people ought to marry people that are in church, saved by the grace of God, serving the Lord. That ought to be your standard and nothing else applies because if you fool around and marry a lost person, you've got a mess in your marriage from day one. I don't care what they tell you. I've seen, hey, I've, I've I've seen that episode too many times. A good godly lady will marry a bad boy or marry a good boy that's just not saved. Well, I'll turn him around. I'll get him worked out. I'm telling you, that never works out. It always ends up, it always ends up the same with that lady standing with me back there in that back foyer saying, my marriage is a mess. I don't know what I'm going to do. Are you hearing me? So there's this thing of change, then there's this thing of conversion, but then there is an issue with uh, a commitment, a commitment. Husbands and wives must commit themselves to the Lord. Beyond being saved, if you want a happy, healthy marriage, here's how to do it. This is the secret sauce of marriage. Are y'all ready? You love the Lord with all your heart. She loves the Lord with all her heart. If you'll both love the Lord with all your heart, your marriage will work out. Let me say that again. You say that's too simple. It's not too simple. It's the truth. If you'll love the Lord with all your heart and she loves the Lord with all her heart, boom, marriage works out. I'm tell, I'm, I am preaching from 25 years of experience. The way to have a marriage work out is for both parties to give it all to the Lord, love the Lord with all their heart, then God makes that a happy home. Uh, the secret to happy marriage is not having a big house. Uh, it's not having a fancy car. Uh, it's not having all these things that the world says you have to have. Uh, it's for both of you to love the Lord with all your heart. If you love the Lord with all your heart, the marriage becomes happy. Now watch this. There's this thing of confession. Selfishness must be admitted. Oh, I hate to say it. And apologized for. I'm going to be honest with y'all. There has been a few times in my marriage that I have said and done something dumb. I know, Brother Allen, that's hard to believe, isn't it? And I mean, I... You know, it's hard to decide what to get Rachel for Christmas when she's got me. (laughs) But there has been a few times, you know, that that, that dumb stuff come out of my mouth. I said, there's been a few times 
when I've been mad at her, but down deep on the inside, I knew I hadn't ought to even be mad at her. I was like, well, I'm mad, bless goodness, and I've done come this far, so here we go. Down on the inside, something saying, you ain't even got no right to be mad over this. You're being dumb. Stop. Shut up. I know I've told you this story, but some of y'all are new, maybe never heard it. <laughs> I remember one time, boy, me and Rachel got in a humdinger. We ain't been in one like that in a long time. A humdinger, buddy. And she got mad at me. Trey was just a little bitty boy. And she got mad at me, and she went to throwing some stuff in the suitcase. Oh, wait a minute. Before that, she ran in her bedroom, locked the door. And I was in there pecking on the door trying to do what I do. Because what I do is I say a bunch of stupid stuff, and then I go back and apologize for it. Because I'm just soft-hearted that way. And I'm, no, I'm pecking on the door. I'm like, hey, baby, come out here and let's talk it out. I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't ever say that again, I promise. Trey, this little old boy. Do you even remember this happening? Just a little old boy. He'd keep coming in there, and he'd say, Daddy, let's go play football. And I'd say, well, wait a minute, Trey. Your mama's mad. I'd pick on that door. He'd come in there and say, she ain't coming out, Daddy. Let's just go play football. I'd say, just give me a minute. I'll get her out here. Well, she come out all right, madder than a bull. And she went to throwing stuff in a suitcase. She closed that suitcase up. And I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to Mama's. She stormed out, got in the car, tore up the gravel, tore out of there. Me and Trey standing there on the front porch. Trey looked at me and he said, I told you where this played football. I told you. I told you to leave that. He, he said, I told you to leave that alone. Well, nothing do me though. She come back after a while. I ain't even sure she ever even made it to Beverly's. She came back at her wall. But the point I'm trying to make is sometimes the words that can save a marriage is pretty simple. I'm sorry about that. I said something I hadn't already said right there. I acted in a way that was dumb. Just breaking up. I know it's an old country song, but it's pretty good theology. Foolish pride. Who was that fella that wrote that? Ah, uh, Who? Yeah, wrote that foolish pride, another heartbreak, go, go up to foolish pride. Boy, ain't there's a lot of truth in that. Matter of fact, Trey, you reckon you could sing that as an invitation? <laughs> we were, if we'd have known we'd have worked on that for tonight. Wouldn't that have been great, Trey, up there the guitar? <laughs> a lot of truth to that. A lot of times what you need to say is, well, I'm sorry, I hate to done that. I acknowledge I was selfish right there, what I said. Some of, some of us, come on now, even after we know we're wrong, we can't bring ourselves to tell nobody. Huh? Sometimes all it takes is just being honest and say, hey, I'm sorry about that. So there's confession. And then there's consecration. I'm just naming a few things down there. Stay. I got about two more of these. That is comparing our attitudes and actions with the Lord as is revealed through his word instead of with one another. You know what people like to do? They like to blame other people and then they like to compare themselves to other people. But they never compare themselves to anybody better. 
You ever notice that? It's always they make themselves look good. Well, I'm better than so-and-so. They did this. That, we do that same thing in marriage, don't we? We say things like, well, I know I said this, but what you said was worse than what I said. What you did was worse than what I did. Now, you know I'm right. And so there starts to be this comparison. I see there's some scripture for it. Let me give you some scripture right here. Look what the Bible said. Second Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 12. Toward the end of that verse, here's what Paul said. He said, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves is not wise. So I've seen them compare character. Well, I'm a liar, but she's a cheat. Or they'll say, I'm not so bad, but she's terrible. They'll compare families. Well, my family's a good family, and they, they love me, and her family's terrible. They'll compare money. They'll compare jobs. They'll compare how the children are handled. I've heard one spouse say, boy, I've got a big job, make big money. I've got all the money. I make all the money, belittle the other. I've seen one, fat, one parent say, boy, I take care of the children, but when I leave them with him, man, it's a mess. I, I, he don't know what he's doing. They're all the time comparing one another. What you need to do is quit using the measuring stick of each other and start using the measuring stick of the Lord and saying, do I, do I measure up to the Lord? And if I don't, boy, I better, get to me, I better get to working on me and not worried about them and work on my relation, my consecration with the Lord. You see, when you're measuring by other people, you're using the wrong measuring stick. It's the will of God that we be conformed under the image of His Son, according to Romans chapter number 8. And our desire should be to be more like Jesus. And there's conformity, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce a change. But then there's continuation. I'll be done right here. And that is not letting success or failure be a reason to quit. Now, I'll point out a couple of times. Well, first, let me, let me say this. Trey is a pretty decent guitar player. Gabriel. He's a pretty decent piano player. Does all right with the fiddle, too, if you can get him played. But neither one of them played it naturally. I can remember Trey, granddaddy used to sit him down, show him chords, and he'd work on them chords, buddy, till his fingers was calloused. We took them both to lessons out there in Bakersville for years because learning that took work. Now, there were times when Gabe would play that fiddle and I'd think, Lord, have mercy. Who is beating the cat? Whoa, 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 coming out of that. And I'd think he won't never make that. He ain't. As a matter of fact, I'd tell Rachel, I'd say, he ain't never going to learn to play that thing. But you know, directly, it started sounding like boil that cabbage now. And the first thing you know, he's playing a little tune on it. You know why? It took work, took work, took effort. Now, there's two things that could happen. One, 
Gabe could say, now, he could say, whoa, whoa, I can't play this thing. And then what would have happened? Never got no better at it, would he? Or he could have played, like learned him a tune or two, and then said, hey, I know this. Put it in the case. No need me practicing no more. I'm great. Either way, he'd have made a mistake, wouldn't he? Now, just think about something. I like to tell that little story on Rachel because she don't get no time to preach and tell about all them times I've done something. But that day she got mad and I got mad. And other times we've been mad. I could have said, well, oh, well. We tried. I quit. That would be just like Gabe, you know, trying one time to play the fiddle no, what you got to do is if you want to make sweet music come out of that thing, you should work on it. Then the other mistake I could make, you know, Rachel and I, we have really, in the last 10 years or so, figured one another out. And I know what pushes her buttons, and she knows what pushes my buttons, and we do our best to stay away from them things. And so we get along very, very well. I mean, we just, we really mesh. We do good. Well, wouldn't it be dumb for me to go, well, I got this licked. I've figured marriage out. I've figured women out. And I'm telling you right now, if either one of those statements were true, I'd write a book and y'all wouldn't ever see me again because I'd be out on a book trail signing books. I'd be famous if I'd figured either one of them things out. So what it takes is every day me making a commitment to work on it every day. Because you know what? Marriage is tough. So is divorce, though. Divorce is tough. So you're supposed to put the effort in on the front end. You see what I'm saying? And it all comes down to you making up your mind that you're not going to be selfish. That... uh, You're not going to have to have everything first all the time. You're not going to have to have it your way every time. Because everything about marriage is a give and take. It's a give and take, give and take, give and take. There's seasons in your life. Look, I got three minutes. Let me be done. There's seasons in your life where of necessity, you will have to do more giving and your spouse will have to do more taking. And then there's seasons in your life where it's going to be exactly opposite. See what I'm saying? There's times where there's going to be physical ailments, emotional troubles, and you're going to have to give, you're going to have to say, well, right now I got to do more taking because she's struggling. Or you're going to say, well, right now I'm going to have to do more taking because he's struggling. And then that thing's going to flip around and you're going to have to remember, you know, when I was struggling, she did more giving, and I did more taking. Now I'm going to have to do more giving because she's got to do more taking. You see what I'm saying? Seasons in your life, those things start turning around. Let me, let me add to it one more thing, one more thing, while I'm dealing with this right here. Here's another thing I hear a lot from couples, and I'm just trying to help you stay out of divorce court. Here's another thing I hear from couples. They say, I'm not in love anymore. Not in love anymore. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about that. 
Love is a choice that has to be made by both parties. If one party chooses not to love, again, what did I tell you at the beginning? You can't change them. You can't change them. But this whole idea of falling in and out of love, it's hogwash. Because it's all a choice. Every bit of it's a choice. It's just like faith. You don't fall into faith. You choose to believe. It's the same way with love. You choose to love. You got to make that choice. Every day, it's got to be a choice. I'm telling you. It's not some mystical thing. We've allowed Disney and, uh, you know, all these romantic tales to feel like, that make us feel like, oh, when we fall in love, it's going to be swirling around and up on your tippy toes. It ain't that way. A lot of times it's spending time with somebody and you're like, darn, I don't, I don't, it's kind of nice to spend time with them. I like them. And then over time you're like, you know what? I think I love them. But that's a choice you made. It wasn't some mystical, woo thing that fell down you chose it and in that same way when the going gets tough you got to make a choice both sides both sides has to make a choice and you choose to or choose not to I'm just telling you the truth those of you that are married in here tonight some of you got a fairy tale marriage so far as social media can tell. And so some of you down deep inside, you're, married, you're like, half the time I hate my husband. But on Facebook, here's my friend. She loves her husband every day. That's because that's a pretend world. You know what? And I always try and tell, I always try and tell people that Rachel and I over the years, we've had some humdingers. That's just the honest truth. I could get up here and say, now, <laughs> model after me and my wife, we've never had a, an argument, never had a problem. But y'all know that wasn't true. She's married to me, seriously. Yeah, we've had some humdingers over the years, fights, arguments. But you know what? We chose to stick it out. You know why? Because we chose to love one another. And then we chose to say, I'm sorry. We chose to make up. <laughs> That's the funnest part of the whole thing. We chose to make up. We chose to stick it out. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you. Don't allow your own foolish pride. Don't allow your own foolish pride and your selfishness to cost you something that could be glorious. Because one of these days, it'll all be worth it and you see them young'uns grow up. I almost got them all raised. God help us in Jesus' name right here, Lord. Help us. Almost got them all raised. Now they're bringing in grand young'uns, girls from Kentucky. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. Stay together. Work it out. Lay aside your selfishness. 
Say I'm sorry every now and again. Do what she wants to do. Do what he wants to do. It'll pay off in the end. It'll pay off in the end. Let's stand on our feet. Father, Lord, we're thankful, God, for families. Lord, I've just tried to give my heart tonight. Lord, you know my heart. I don't want to see another family go down the road of divorce. Not one. I look at these young families, a lot of them bouncing, little kids on their knees. Lord, I don't want to see them go down that road. Oh, it'd be so terrible. I just pray up a hedge of protection. Do that now as only you can, Lord, I beg. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Might be some of you tonight. So preacher, there's some areas that I could work on myself about. Give and take in my marriage. I won't always be the husband, the wife that I need to be. If you got something y'all to pray about, and I'm over this altar to you, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You say, preacher, tonight I want to come and ask the Lord to help me with this area. Because I want us to have a strong, strong marriage. Would there be others? Say, preacher, I want to come tonight. I want to come. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to let pride cause a problem. I don't choose to love. I choose to love.